Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, George, what a way to end the season. A great season for the San Francisco Giants. And we will never know what the outcome would have been. A terrible call by the first base umpire, Gabe Morales. It's just a sad way to end a game, to end a series, to end a season. It just, it's going to, I think, sit with us for a long time. Yeah, Joe, I agree. It's a little bit tough when you watch that. And, and I understand the game moves fast and it happens quickly, but you never want to see the players on the field be robbed of comp- completing the game, regardless of the outcome. Uh, on a call like that. I mean, when we saw the replay, it was blatantly a very, very early checked swing. Um, and I think this, the pressure of the moment built up and it was on a whim call by Gabe Morales. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the ultimate way to, to play those games, especially in, in a series like this with 200 plus win teams. I mean, this was from Vince Scully's mouth, the biggest uh, game ever between the Giants and Dodgers, in his opinion, and for it to end on a call like that is really robbing the players on the field uh, from either having something incredibly awesome happen on the Giants' side or, or letting them win it properly on the Dodgers' side. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people might say, well, you know, it probably would have ended this way anyway because Flores was behind in the count. He's 0 for 17 against Scherzer in his career. But I feel like we were cheated out of actually seeing the ending. It's kind of like you're watching a great movie and then all of a sudden you don't get to see the end of it. It's just cut off. And umpires are not supposed to be the story. You can't make a call like that then. I mean, maybe you never should make that call, but if it's the middle of June or you know some other game and you make that call, okay, but you're 90 feet away. And if you're not 100% sure, I don't know how you make that call. I absolutely agree. Uh, I've, I, you know, we've said it for years with certain umpires who, you know, tend to like the spotlight on themselves, and we won't name names. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, the, the the people who pay good money to come and watch those games aren't coming to watch umpires call balls and strikes or or do that stuff. They're calling to watch, or they're coming, excuse me, to watch players on the field duke it out, uh, leave it all out there. And I think we were just robbed of that a little bit last night. And I think everything is just amplified based on how much energy and how electric the situation was. It was a winner go home game um, with the two biggest fran- two of the biggest franchises in the game, and one of the best, if not the best, rivalries in all of baseball um, at, at stake. And I think for for that be, to be the way that it went down, and for us to have all these different angles to see just how bad of a call it actually was, I think just sits poorly with a lot of people. I mean, even. Even Dodger fans with some of the interactions that I've had on Twitter were, you know, some of them were like, stop crying, go home. And the other ones were like, <laughs> totally agree. You should have let them finish it on the field. Uh, so you, I think just as a fan of the sport and the game and the rivalry, you definitely want to see the game won or lost properly. Yeah, and maybe this is uh, something that, you know, is an impetus to not 
have that call maybe as often? I mean, I know it's it's baseball history. You check with the first base umpire, but he's 90 feet away plus. I mean, he's more than 90 feet away from where that call is, is happening. And I know he has the angle maybe over the home plate umpire, but man, I, after this, I, I don't think I ever want to see that again. And even Dodger fans, you know, they were complaining because, you know, Ruff got away with that one that helped the Giants beat the Dodgers, and they're looking at this maybe as revenge, but I just don't think that should come into play as often. You know, I, I agree. I think that there's, in my opinion, when I look at the check swing, I think there's a buffer zone. Uh, there, there's a zone where if the barrel of the bat gets to, it can go either way, and you're kind of just like, okay, I, I got it. Uh, but when, when, when calls are missed egregiously, like the Corey Seager one earlier yeah. in the series and the one last night, you just, you know, you wonder how these guys are human. I totally get that. The umpires are going to make mistakes. They've, they have been uh, doing a good job overall for a very, very long time. Um, but sometimes the moment creeps up on them as well. This is a huge emotional game, tons of energy in the stadium. And then, bam, all of a sudden you have to make that call. And sometimes the emotion uh, of the uh, moment gets the best of you. I don't know if replay is going to help in that situation. I mean, listen to what Gabe Morales had to say. The, and by the way, he's a Santa Clara native. Who knows? Maybe he grew up as a Giants fan. But but he said that he didn't have the benefit of multiple camera angles when he's watching it live. When it happened live, he thought that he went. So that's his explanation. If we had multiple camera angles for the umpires to look at, in that case, obviously, they wouldn't have called that a swing. But there are going to be so many of them if you made that reviewable. So many that are borderline, and then people are going to go crazy about that too yeah exactly i mean i think that again it's all subjective to you know what you see in the moment but i was i was scrolling through twitter a little bit and a former you know lefty pitcher who who i uh, follow eric o'flaherty he, he he sent a tweet that uh, made me laugh he said in that situation unless flores swings twice and corkscrews <laughs> himself into the ground there's no way i'm calling that a swing and i think when you're a fan of the game and and you know you you want the you want the game to end properly. You want it to be settled on the field. And regardless of the win or loss, I think people on our side, which obviously we're the ones that are unfortunately going home, uh, you just feel robbed. And it wouldn't have changed the outcome probably. I think that uh, with with Flores being 0 for 17 and not having a great track record against Mad Max, um, I think that it probably would have ended the same way. But at least there would have been the closure of it ending on the field. Yeah, I agree with O'Flaherty there. I mean, you have to take the situation into consideration. And it's unfortunate for Gabe Morales, too, because when you think about baseball history, he is now on the list. I mean, there was Don Denkinger that cost the Cardinals the 85 World Series that I call it first base. And you start thinking about replay, and it's really tied to that. And Jim Joyce, who took away the Armando Galarraga perfect game in 2010. So now you have this, and I would think that, you know, a lot of folks, are going to be clamoring for replay on this after seeing that. You know, it, it is unfortunate, but when you're dealing with the fans and, and when the outcome is so polarizing and, like, eye-opening as to what happened last night, I'm sure Gabe Morales is a really good guy. And if you were going out and having a beer with him, you'd probably have a great time and we, everyone would get along and, and you'd walk away being like, wow, what a great guy. But when the situation ha- comes down to the way it did last night, you just – you can't help but being like, what are you doing? How could you make that call? And that's why I go on and say that um, the, the, the pressure of the moment can creep up on all of us, not just the guys on the field playing, you know, not just the guys 
doing the pitching or, or swinging the bat in the at-bats, but even the umpires, they feel the pressure as well. And, you know, I've had interactions with Jim Joyce, and he was a great guy, and he just made a, a bad call. You know, this is the things that happen. But um, to your point, yeah, he's definitely going down on the wrong side of the uh, uh, history in the umpiring department in very, very uh, emotionally high-staked games. This is devastating for the Giants and their fan base. I mean, it was the best season they've ever had. How do you get over this, George? I mean, I, I know you were part of the 2016 team, and, and that was a tough one to swallow because, you, you know, it looked like you, you were going to have a good chance against the Cubs if you, you got to a final game with Johnny Cueto ready. But this is different, too. I mean, this you know, it was taken away as far as the opportunity at the end. How in the world do you get over this as a player? Well, you know, what you can, you can only control what you can control. The game is over. I'm sure that everybody uh, on the Giants side of things probably didn't sleep all that well last night um, because you felt like it was robbed. You try and look back at the opportunities you had to score some runs and things you could have done differently. Um, but you know what? You, this, is, this is baseball. It's like Rafiki said in The Lion King, right? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. Um, and you just got to move on and you got to get ready for next year and you have to think – you're going to use this as fuel. You're going to use this as you're training in the offseason. This team overcame so many obstacles this year, and they outperformed so many expectations. And what I think they do is they build off of all the confidence that they, that they built up um, this season, and they come into spring training, and they're hungry, they're confident, they know that they are the NL West champions, they've dethroned the Dodgers in that regard. And you just build off of it, and, and you continue to have the guys like Lamont Wade Jr. and Camilo Doval and all these guys who came up huge down the stretch for them continue to build and get better, and uh, hopefully the, the veteran guys that had career years can continue to build off of that as well. And you come back next year, and when game one starts, you're off to the races again to try and do it all over. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one to swallow, but yeah, eventually you do get over it. And for me, I guess they lost this series because they just didn't hit enough, and you got to give credit to the Dodgers pitching. And, you know, the strategy did work out. I don't know that it even matters, George. I mean, who's starting the game? I mean, Knable did a, a nice job, and then you had a combined six-hitter with all these different pitchers, 13 strikeouts. So just overall, the depth of the pitching for the Dodgers, you have to tip your cap to them. Yeah, you do. You have to tip your cap to them, but the Giants were right there with them. I mean, it was a two-to-one ball game, you know. I mean, it was a very well-played game. I even tweeted out last night, I said, this is the kind of game that I love to watch. This is an exciting game. Every pitch, there is so much emotion on because it's such a tight-knit game. One-to-one game into the ninth inning. I mean, holy cow. <laughs> um, it was incredible, and you have to give credit to both sides. They played their hearts out. I just think that the Dodgers played a little bit of a cleaner game, and and. You know, the, the Giants had so much magic and so much ability to overcome some of these deficits and, and uh, get out of the holes that they have dug themselves in. And unfortunately, last night, they just weren't able to do that. How about the way Logan Webb pitched uh, both games? And it was interesting, too, because he made an adjustment. He didn't want the Dodgers to uh, figure him out, so he threw a lot more change-ups in that first outing. This time, he didn't uh, go with as many, and he still was baffling the Dodgers hitters. I mean, this kid really took it upon himself to take that ball and be the guy. And we didn't know that was going to happen at the beginning of the season, but he became the ace, and he can handle anything. Yeah, the, the, the last three starts that Logan Webb made um, were, were unbelievable. And I think what he did was really mature into the guy who he can be moving forward. I mean, gosh, his last three starts outside of the eighth inning in game 162, he only gave up two runs, and he pitched fantastic. 
And it really goes to show how much he trusts his stuff now to be able to, like you said, throw a ton of change-ups in that first outing and then come back and throw more fastballs and breaking balls and save the change-up a little bit because everyone's looking at the numbers. Everyone's looking at the percentages, and all those hitters are expecting change-ups. And that, that two-seam or sinker, or whatever you want to call it, was moving all over the place last night. And I just think that he was pitching with a ton of confidence, and he's really matured uh, a great deal throughout this season. And I think now he's a guy, as you heard Buster say in the post-game interview, he's a guy that you can build a staff around. And I think that's what they've expected. They saw that potential when they were drafting him coming up through the minor leagues, and now he's finally arrived. So what he has to do is continue building off that, understand who he is and what he has to do, and then just let him go. You know, that, uh, that movement you're talking about, that's another reminder to me that it's not all about velocity because you see the movement he had or, you know, Blake Trinan, he has both. He's, he's got movement and high velocity and, you know, Webb throws hard as well. I mean, these guys are throwing two seam fastballs that are mid to upper 90s with tons of movement. It's just really hard for hitters. Uh, I, I tweeted last night that I think that Blake Trinan, for me, is the best reliever in the game right now. I just When I watch him, he's got that big, durable body. He's a strong guy. He, he never shows any emotion. And then he throws 99-mile-an-hour bowling ball sinkers with 88-mile-an-hour outrageous sliders. I mean, I, I, again, I played the sport for a very long time. I don't know how he ever gets hit. Um, he, he's very, very good, and I think that – in it, where, where we've come in the game with guys being so physically gifted and now being able to train yourself to becoming even more physically gifted with the miles per hour that, that we've seen over the last few years. I mean, hitting is very difficult. Uh, and and when, when these guys on both sides, on the mound or in the batter's box, when you make mistakes, uh, one side's going to pay for it. Camilo Doval, I mean, he has a chance to be one of the best relievers really in baseball with the stuff that he has. And, you know, he's pitching so well. And, of course, he's going to feel bad because he gave up that game-winning hit on a slider to Cody Bellinger. Let's talk about the pitch selection because certainly it's, it's a little bit of something that could be debated. I know uh, on Twitter you and Hector Sanchez were talking about it because here's a guy who throws over 100 miles an hour, but he, he felt like, I guess, that he just didn't have uh, his normal command on that fastball, so he was going more sliders, and that's what he threw to Bellinger there. So so I, I think that, first of all, we really have to give credit to Camilo Doval for the strides that he made this season. Yeah, um, he, he came up, and, and, and he, he was electric and, and dominant his first couple outings. Then he had a little taste of failure at the big league level, and he really did it in, in, a, in a learning fashion. You know, he, he got optioned down to Sacramento. He figured things out. He came back, and he looked like a totally different guy, pitching with confidence. The biggest thing that I noticed was he started establishing his fastball much, much better in his second stint at the major league level. And when you throw 98 to 102 miles an hour, I don't care what else you throw. You need to establish – your fastball, because that is so hard that it just keeps hitters honest because they have to respect it. What I saw last night was after he hit Justin Turner with that 100-mile-an-hour fastball, it looked like, and this can happen after one pitch. It's happened to every pitcher that's ever played the game. It's happened to me. It's happened to everybody else, and it'll happen again. You start losing a little bit of confidence in that pitch because you threw one, and it didn't go where you wanted to. You hit the guy. And now you start putting more pressure on yourself to execute those fastballs. And he obviously had very, very good um, feel and control for that breaking ball, so he leaned heavily on it because he was 
not having, in my opinion, as much confidence in that fastball. But um, you need to establish your fastball, especially with a team like the Dodgers, who can do damage one through eight in their lineup. Um, and they're smart hitters. They realize that he was throwing a lot of sliders. And the fact that he was not throwing that fastball, even to just show it to him, um, they just pretty much eliminated it from what was going to come. And the slider's very good. And if you keep throwing those bastard sliders that start at the bottom of the zone and break into the ground, you'll keep getting foul balls and swings and misses and ground out, ground outs. Um, but he left that one a little up. It popped out of his hand a little bit. And Cody Bellinger, even though he was not having a very good series, he's still a very good hitter, former MVP. You're not going to sneak the cheese past the rat that many times. And he was just able to put a good swing on that one that was left a little bit up. How do you think that worked out with Doval and Buster as far as that pitch sequence there? I mean, you know, Buster is sort of at the whim of what Doval wants to throw or feels comfortable doing after everything you just described. Yeah, first of all, Buster is one of the best, for, for sure the best that I've ever had at reading the feel of the pitcher. And, and Buster's caught me, I'd say, over half of my major league appearances, if not more than that. Um, and I didn't see Camilo Doval shake, really. So I think Buster just had a good feel for the fact that Camilo might have a little bit less confidence in the fastball this outing, but he does have confidence in the breaking ball. And he was throwing good breaking balls. He was throwing good back, back foot ones to lefties. He threw a couple good back door breaking balls. The problem with that is the more these hitters see it without seeing that 100 miles an hour to keep them honest, the more they can time it up, the more they're looking for it. And then when they get that one up in the zone, they're able to handle it. Um, as far as Buster's pitch calling, Buster is as good as anybody at feeling out the situation, how the pitcher's feeling. Because the last thing you want to do is start falling behind these guys where you're forced to come in the middle of the zone. So uh, it was just one of those outings where you work with what the pitcher has that day, and, and I think Buster and Camilo both felt that the slider was uh, their best chance in that given moment. Yeah, so, I mean, it didn't work out, and they didn't hit enough, but, it, you know, it's, it's just it's really hard for it to end the way that, he, at, the way that it did um, because these two teams, I mean, all year they just battled each other. It was such an even match, uh, you know, all the way. I mean, every time during the season when the Giants might jump out in front a little bit, the Dodgers would come back. The Dodgers took over first place, I think, for a couple of days, and then, boom, the Giants were back on top. It's just It was an incredible race to the finish, and, and it's hard to believe that it's over. It's too bad that it wasn't in the NLCS because, you know, these two teams deserved to have that but we're not going to get it yeah you're right it, it was and I think to echo Evan Longoria's comments before the, the, the series started I, I when you have matchups like this it makes you question the setup the playoff structure and the setup of of the uh the seating um I think what you'll maybe see to avoid something like this again is just a you know uh, a seed level playoff structure where the winner of the wild card game you just do it based on record right you have the number one best record, number two best record, and then one place four, two place three. So you don't have um, this five-game series with the two powerhouse teams of the league because I think it left everyone wanting more. I mean, I was, I was seeing on Twitter, um, you know, Sergio Romo being like, I can't believe there's, a, there's not a game six and seven. And, and it was just very good entertainment. It was great baseball, and it left everybody kind of craving a little bit more. We'll have more with former Giants pitcher George Contos right after this. 
When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415-453-2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Let's talk about the overall season and the job that Gabe Kapler did because nobody expected this team to be where they were, 107 regular season wins. I mean, you know, to me, guys like Wade, Duggar, Rodgers, Duvall, I mean, they all emerged as special players, and that was surprising. And it even was a little bit surprising to a lot of us that the veteran guys would play the way they did. I mean, Brandon Crawford had a career year. Buster Posey was rejuvenated, had a really good series there against the Dodgers. It was all... Uh, pretty amazing. I mean, Brent, Brandon Belt was good. They missed him a lot. I mean, all of these players were spectacular this year. They were spectacular, and you, you have to give credit to everybody, the, the Gabe Kapler, the pitching staff, the coaching staff, the, the everybody, the hitters, because everyone, the hitting coaches, everyone bought in to the thesis of that team, and that goes to show what kind of individuals on the player side and on the coaching staff that you have in that uh, clubhouse. Um but going further, that team chemistry is why the, the team was so good, I think, because you can have powerhouse lineups on paper, but if the, if the team chemistry and the guys in the clubhouse don't have that good relationship, I've been, I've been very fortunate to have been a part of the 2012 team and 2014 teams, and, and all my teams, to be honest, we all had great chemistry. Just because we didn't win the other years doesn't mean that we didn't have that great team camaraderie, but this team definitely had it, and I think that was their it factor. That was why they were able to bounce back from a little skid, or that's why they were able to continue winning uh, when they were on a seven- or eight-game win streak. It was because they were kept calm and collective in the clubhouse. You had great leadership from Buster and Evan and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Bell, and the new guys came in, and they followed suit, and they brought and participated um, every day in and, and, and every win and every loss. Uh, everyone was there doing it together, and I think that was what was most special about this Giants team. You know, we talked about it a lot throughout the season, but I think it's worth mentioning again that the veteran players bought into what Kapler was doing, and even the younger guys never got down. I mean, think about a guy like Wade. He was down in the minor leagues a little bit at the beginning of the year. Duggar, he bounced up and down. You know, Strada, who contributed a lot, uh, you know, he was uh, kept off the roster there at the end, and, and he had to go down to the minors. But the attitudes of these players, I, I think that was the key. You talk about the chemistry, but but these attitudes, uh, they just never wavered. They were always on board with what was happening. I think that that, that is a huge testament to the clubhouse atmosphere that the veterans in that clubhouse have set. Um, there were some clubhouses where, you know, I'll, I'll use my first call up with the Yankees, for example, it was an unbelievably good clubhouse, but you know, when you got guys like Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez and Jorge Posada and, and Mariano Rivera walking around, you sometimes feel like, Holy cow, like I'm the new young guy. And these guys are the superstar older guys. <laughs> And there's not quite that same in interaction because, again, like I was 25 years old, and it's like, holy cow, that's Derek Jeter across the clubhouse. Um, in, in this clubhouse, I feel like everybody came back up from the minor leagues when they were recalled or when they were brought up for the first time, and they just felt like they belonged. There was a sense of, hey, I belong here. I don't feel like I'm the new guy or the rookie. 
And that makes you play with confidence very quickly. And I think that was what they had going on this year is whenever they came back up or whenever, whenever they were recalled for the first time, they were like, hey, man, welcome. We have a job to do. Let's go do it. And I think that that's kind of what was their, going into their team chemistry, which was their greatest strength. I just think this team never gets enough credit. Another thing we talked about throughout the season, that you know, the national media is just never on board with this team. I don't know why. And it's the same thing with Brandon Crawford and the MVP. I mean, there are people who weren't even considering him for MVP. It was obviously a season where he needs to be near the top as far as the consideration. I don't know if he wins it, but, but he's got to be near the top. And I don't know when this team's ever going to get credit. Uh, you're, you're right. It's, it's the, the West Coast bias. It's, it's the fact that, you know, I, Fernando Tatis gets the, you know, the superstar kind of, uh, you know, notoriety and Bryce Harper, same thing. But, you know, you have superstars in Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford right there, too. They're a little less vocal than the other guys, but they go in day in and day out and they are, they are producing at MVP levels. And, you know, it's just you have to credit the, the two players. You know, Brandon Crawford is a guy who, He'll never speak up. He'll never criticize. He'll never. He just shows up every day. He prepares and he gets ready to play baseball. He is a baseball player, um, and th- in my opinion, that is his greatest attribute. Is he just comes in, prepares, and gets ready to play good baseball every single day, and that shows. Um, and I, I would expect him to to get a bunch of MVP votes because if he didn't, I don't know what the guys who vote on this have been watching all year. And by the way, I mean, the double play that he turned with LaStella, that was just incredible. I'll never forget that. And then the leaping catch he made on Mookie Betts. I don't know how he got up that high that quickly. That was amazing. Well, he didn't earn the nickname, the human highlight reel for no reason. (laughs) He just, his baseball instincts are, are rivaled by nobody. Um, His baseball IQ is so good. Um, another guy, uh, who, who I kind of make the same comparisons about is Javi Baez. You know, Javi Baez is a little flashier, um, but very high baseball IQ, but Brandon Crawford is every bit as good, if not better, because he makes some of the plays that are unbelievably difficult look very easy. And then he makes the very easy plays look very, very easy as well. So you never know what is a hard play unless you've been there and you've seen how hard the ball is hit off the bat. And then Craw just, you know, will dive up the middle, get to his feet and throw the guy out by two steps. And you're like, oh, wow, he made that look easy. When, in fact, he makes the hardest plays look very mundane and routine. All right, so Crawford has a contract. Uh, Posey will be back. Now, Brandon Belt, we don't know what's going to happen there. And Chris Bryant, those are really two big position players as far as decisions to be made. I want to get your thoughts. Bryant, I mean, he hit incredibly in the uh, NLDS 471. I'm not sure that they can keep him because his value is so high. He's going to get some major offers around Major League Baseball. But, boy, it would be great to have him back. And, I mean, the way Brandon Belt played at the end of the season before he got hurt, it would be great to have him back as well. I'm just not sure. What do you think? Well, what I do know is Farhan is going to have the blessing of ownership, I would imagine, to write some checks and um, continue to make this team a- as good as they can make it. And I think with a, and I, I'm look, I'm admittedly very, very biased. We all know that. I played with these guys, and Brandon Belt was my teammate for six years. And without Brandon Belt, we don't win two World Series that I'm a part of. Um, so my 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 take is going to be to to re-sign Brandon Belt because he had an unbelievably good year, and he proved that he could still do it. Uh, there were a couple fluky things that happened to him, like this bunt thumb, um, and who knows what could have been what could have been if he was still in the lineup. 
you know, conversely, you could say the same thing with Max Muncie. But for me, you, you need to bring Brandon Belt back. Um, I, I hope that they do because he's been a giant for 10, 11 years now. And it would be uh, a shame, and I wouldn't like seeing him in another uniform. Um, Chris Bryant, I would love to see him back as well. I think he's going to really – he's going to definitely test the market. I think that him being a Boris guy um, in with a track record of Scott Boris, he's going to probably want a little more than the Giants are going to be willing to give him. But I think ultimately if he likes it there, if his family likes it there, if he loved the clubhouse vibe, I think he would maybe take a little bit less to come back and re-sign with a team like the Giants if he feels comfortable. Uh, he's already made a very good living for himself. He's going to make an unbelievable living for himself. And I think he's not an ego guy on, I need every last penny. So I think if that's the, um, the thought process that he has, there's a chance we could see him, but he's going to be very handsomely compensated for his efforts. And, um, you know, great players show up when they're needed, and that's exactly what he did in the NLDS. Yeah, certainly one of the best trade acquisitions the Giants have had at the deadline, for sure. Well, George, uh, it's been such a great year. I mean, before we go, I, I was curious, um, just your thoughts on uh, the future for you. I mean, in the studio, you did an outstanding job with NBC Sports Bay Area. And, uh, you know, last year with COVID and everything, you couldn't get in the studio. It was so much different. It was great to see you in there with Greg Papa and a lot of times uh, being able to demonstrate stuff uh, visually, a lot with, you know, pitches and everything else. Uh, so everybody's looking forward to seeing you again. Uh, what's the future? Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate it uh, for the compliments, and, and I love doing it. You know, I love I love being able to still be involved in the game, and and the fact that I'm able to do it uh, as a part of the Giants family still uh, makes me that much happier. Just because I spent so much time there, and the best years of my career were spent as a player in San Francisco. Um, so I, I I envision and hope that that continues next year. Uh, knock on wood. Um, I hope to be doing it even more often than I did it this year. Um, but, yeah, the plan is to absolutely continue progressing down the, uh, the media analyst broadcast uh, path, and, and hopefully we'll see where that gets, uh, gets me. But it, I definitely love being around the organization and, and, uh, and the people that I work, worked with um, were, were fantastic. So I think that's the, that's the plan for this upcoming season, and, and I hope we have another team as exciting as this one to, to be talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's really been a pleasure to have you on these podcasts. Uh, making a change with the podcast, no longer doing the Giants. It's going to be all sports, but I hope to call on you in the future. And I'll say this, George, too, is that uh, when you go in the clubhouse as a media member like myself and you do, you're working on a, on a podcast, sometimes it's hard to get guests, but you were always there. Uh, and a lot of the Giants players were really cool, too. I mean, that's what goes back to that clubhouse that you talked about. Uh, but you were always uh, available, and, and people in the media really appreciate that. And I really really appreciate you doing these podcasts on a regular basis this season it was really a lot of fun to talk about this team and and it was really special to me thank you so much oh it was my pleasure i, I had a blast and i look forward to talking about more things in the future all right george thanks a lot and uh, have a good off season all right joe thank you you too that's former giants pitcher george contos i want to thank him for being our analyst throughout the season it was such a pleasure to talk to george and this is it as far as inside China Basin for the season and forever. Uh, it's been 12 years of doing this podcast. I've really enjoyed it. And now it's going to change. I'm going to be doing the Sports Virus podcast, all sports, on a weekly basis starting up in November. So look for that on the sportsvirus.com and the Believe Podcast Network. Next week we'll have a tribute to the Giants 
and the podcast with some of the great moments that we've had on thesportsvirus.com. So uh, listen for that next week. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.